1: Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, better get 30, better get 20, 20, 20, better get 20, 20, better get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch.
0: switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
2: Hey there, my little popcats. How are you doing this week? Oh, how am I doing this week? I'm sat here in one of the top bedrooms on the top floor. We've got one bedroom where I possibly slightly un... Well, actually, it's, I haven't got any choice. It's going to say unfairly. There's literally no alternative. Um, I've got my five-year-old, my eight-year-old, and my 12-year-old all in a room. How much longer do you think my 12-year-old is going to be happy to be on the top Mama? bunk? Hello, Ray. Of the mask and accessories the superhero accessories bag all right give me two seconds i'm just recording the introduction to my podcast and then i'll get the superhero accessories um ray how much longer do you think kit's going to be happy to be on the top bunk he's 12 years old now how much longer do you think he's gonna be happy mm, that's how i feel about it ray's got I think maybe another year, max. Uh, don't worry, I've got a plan. My plan involves essentially moving Sonny out when he's 18 into my mum's house. This is my long-term plan. He's all right with it. i got mum's all right with it. That's my plan. He's
1: turning 17.
2: He's 17 next month. Anyway, um, so this week, what have I been up to? We did a kitchen disco last night, um, and it's actually really good fun. Uh, you never know how they're going to go, actually, because obviously they're live, so there's a lot of jeopardy involved. And it really, I got the giggles very early on because the kids well, didn't seem too interested in doing it. And my five-year-old Jesse, for the first time, said, I don't want to do the disco, I'm just going to play my games, I'll see you later. And then he sort of sprung into the playroom at 6.25, so five minutes before we went live wearing a Woody from Toy Story costume with a lion furry hat, two odd gloves, uh, saying, I'm a new character, I'm called Disco Banana. So that was good. Uh, Ray came along dressed up as his toy monkey. So not you, Ray? You were dressed as a big monkey. And I've been recording some new podcast episodes, and this week's guest is um, someone I've been really keen to speak to from the beginning of doing the podcast, actually. I think because her podcast, Griefcast has meant a lot to me. So I spoke to Carrie Ad Lloyd, who has got uh, two hats she wears most of the time. One hat says comedy writer and actor. She does improvisational comedy, teaches improv, does comedy writing, Edinburgh Fringe, you know, TV panelist uh, comedy stuff. But on the flip of the funny funny, the other hat is all about talking to people with about grief and so grief cast is um conversations with people who've lost someone and they're just really lovely conversations and i think i'm i used to listen to it anyway even before i'd experienced too much grief in my own life i think because i i'm a little bit fascinated actually by grief maybe it's because it used to be so taboo and it's still sort of emerging but um after my stepdad john lott died last year i started listening more and um I think once you're in that club and wearing that cloak, it's really comforting to hear other people speaking about it. Ed has two children. Uh, The last one was born last year in the midst of lockdown. And we talk about having two small human beings, uh, all of the usual stuff about working and life and love. And it was a real pleasure to talk to her. So thank you so much to Ed for her time. Thank you to you for your ears once more. And while we're listening to this one, I'm just going to stay in this room. I think Ray's going to just hang around and we're going to find the superhero accessories in a minute and just continue having that kind of a Saturday. All right, lots of love. See you in a minute. Bye-bye. Carrie, am I right in thinking you've got two children? Is that right?
3: Yes, I have two. Uh, One is nearly four and one is... Yeah, eight months, I think. So I had him just before lockdown one. Is that February? <laughs> you had him in February, is that right? Yeah, March, February, March. March, yeah, February, yeah. March, okay.
2: Well, thank you very much. It's funny, I I, uh, I really wanted to speak to you, but I want to sort of clarify that I pro- <laughs> there's probably a bit of me that, you know, your podcast, the Griefcast podcast, is such a brilliant thing anyway. I've listened to it over the years a lot. I know you've been doing it for four years now, but... Um, obviously it's become extra significant now that I'm a sort of new member of what I think you'd call the Dead Dad Club. Um, uh, right yeah 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 once you join the club the
3: the episodes have a little bit more power to them don't they because you're like oh I get it.
2: Yeah exactly but you know I wondered if that happened to you a lot with people kind of coming to you as a sort of I feel like I always want to bring up my stepdad in conversations and that people are a bit squeamish and I knew you wouldn't be. Um, (laughs) No, not at all. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely the person.
3: Well, first, I'm really sorry to hear about your stepdad. Um, And secondly, yeah, I think what happens is it's really weird. If you're not in the club at all, which just to clarify is what we call people who have had a significant loss, like you kind of, inverted commas, get it, if you're not in the club you I think when you hear oh there's a podcast about death you're like oh mm, okay not for me thanks maybe later um and then when you join it you're like oh thank god somebody is having these conversations and that's why I started it really because my dad died when I was 15 and when I was 15 it just was like nobody talking about it it was like you said everyone was so squeamish and so awkward and so like oh well chin up And you'd be like, what does that mean? Like, So yeah, I I am now, I guess, pretty unsqueamish about death and grief, having spoken about it on a podcast for four years and not having had a dead dad for over 20. (laughs) You get pretty good at talking about it.
2: Yeah, because I I read somewhere that you said that you felt like you had kind of almost like a radar for people that were maybe wearing the cloak of grief at that time and you sort of, if you were at a party or something, you'd find yourself talking to the person that was maybe going through something like that.
3: Yeah, I didn't... I didn't know how it was happening, but I'd always... Yeah, you'd be at, like, some party like in your 20s or a teenager, and you'd be thinking, what's the point of all this? We're all going to die. <laughs> like, and then you'd start talking to someone, they'd be like, oh, yeah, my like, mum my just... And you're like, oh, mm, oh, we do Like, we can, And then you'd have this really genuine conversation with someone about life and death, and then you'd turn around and your mate's just, like, throwing up a bottle of Archer's and is, like, snogging the <laughs> bloke that she said she wasn't going to snog her, And You're like, God, this is hard. It's hard to know this, like when everybody else is, is just like living because they're so young. But yeah, I did get quite good at sort of accidentally sussing out people who wanted to talk about it. And I mean, I guess you could say quite good or you could say people who didn't want to have that conversation backed away from me.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> so I was probably left with the only person who was like, yeah, actually, I want to talk about it. And everyone else was like, okay, cool.
2: See you later, Carrie. i going to get a drink. Oh, anyway, she's talking about death again. Well, do you think, cause you mentioned there that it's kind of... It's quite an awkward bedfellow to your teenage years and seeing your mates, like, drinking peach naps and snogging people and stuff. So did you feel like it did, was, like, an extra, like, the third person in, you know, in the room when it came to, like, you and your mates and then the fact that you are grieving yeah, for it?
3: definitely. When I, I... I talk a lot about teenage bereavement and when I've interviewed people who've lost um, people as teenagers, I think the problem is, the joke we always have is, like, you're, you know, one day you're 15, the next day you're 45. And it just ages you so quickly because you know, you're, you, you're aware of mortality. And like most teenagers aren't, understandably, like they are reckless and they do what they want and they don't think about these things because that's the point of being a teenager. So it kind of, it steals your teenagehood. And it happens if you lose a parent, you know, under 10 as well, like it, it steals your childhood a little bit because you're sort of aware of things that you don't really want to be aware of at that point. You know, you'd you'd quite like to be, um, you know, before he got sick, I think, you know, like my biggest concern was like, you know, are those my favourite jeans dry because I'm going out like, have we got a party and are the best jeans and does my friend really like me? Like, all these concerns that seem so important. And after you've lost a parent, especially, like, your biggest concern is, God, I hope the other one doesn't die. Like, that's, that's like, a lot <laughs> you're 15 yeah. to kind of juggle. So, yeah, I think it, it just slightly ages you and slightly makes you aware of a life lesson that most people get much later in life. So it's yeah. not like we always joke on the show, like... Everyone's going to join the club eventually. I just got here early. So, you know, Yeah. <laughs> swing it around about.
2: Yeah. And I guess as well, it's uh, when you lose someone when you're sort of before you're an, an adult or, you know, at least sort of independent and have that space, then I think you can probably feel a little bit more the mercy of chronology, really, because it happens in such a sort of, uh, significant time of your life. And then you can sort of distract yourself out of it sometimes when you're younger and life is still going on. And it might be that it takes a long time to catch up with you, the significance of it, in a way that probably doesn't happen in the same way if you're in your 20s or 30s, where um, people talk to you about it in a different way and they pick up, you know, you're better at, at, at like, modifying your emotions or saying, oh, today is a sad yeah. day. And I guess when you're younger, it probably gets bit more lost in in amongst everything else that's happening? Definitely. And the research that I've read and
3: from talking, you know, to doing over hundred episodes of Griefcast, what I've you know not scientifically can say but can say is what happens if you lose a parent as a teenager is you don't deal with it till you hit your 30s so your teenage years are just shock like what just happened to me your 20s are just like kind of chaos lots of things that you don't connect to the death you're like that's got nothing to do with it that i can't say goodbye to people and i'm really anxious that's that's just separate issues and then i think most of us hit our 30s and like oh hang on i think i haven't dealt with this because and I used to feel really guilty about that, but now I'm much more kind to myself and I'm like, oh, you just you just can't deal with it as a teenager because you don't have the vocabulary. And I think it happens, I think what's interesting now is because teenagehood is slightly extended, so people in their sort of early 20s are still, you know, they're not buying houses and having kids like my parents' generation are. So I think a lot of young people feel like that as well, like, mm. you know, most of their friends are still partying or going out like 22 23 24 and then if you lose a parent at that age as well like it's like oh you're this bit where you're supposed to have fun i mean i guess what i talk about a lot in the show is that there's no good time <laughs> there's no good time to lose that one and whatever time it is there'll be specific things that affect you mm. and it's just about trying to be aware of like you know if you're a new mother or if you the mother for the fifth time and you lose someone like it, it, there's a very specific whatever's happening in your life will be affected by that grief and trying to get people to accept that there's never a time it's fine there's never a time that's like oh well it, they die but never mind we move on I'm this you know and I know people in their 60s and 70s have lost someone who are bereft by it like mm. it, it's grief it's just grief it's it's how we process someone
2: dying and I guess as well there are different types of grief in that the grief that comes along with tragedy you know, someone dying earlier than they should, or you know, in the wrong order of of how life normally plays out. That's got to be a slightly different different type of grief. I, I'm not saying it's. I'm not saying that one has more weight than the other. No, but just no, it's yeah, grief with tragedy. It's is, true. And we talk again, the thing I always say is like,
3: there's no grief hierarchy, like whatever you feel you feel, although the one caveat to that is child loss. And everyone mm. kind of agrees on that every expert I've spoken to has gone, it's a completely different room of pain, mm. because it's not the right order in things. So um, I do think but I think, you know, I've spoken to people who've, you know, lost a grandparent, and it has destroyed them in the same way there's somebody's lost a father like it's about your relationship to them what they meant to you where you are in that point like grief hits so many points of your life so Mm -hmm. yeah and if they if it's a very tragic death if it's sudden if it's a shock if you haven't seen them there's been an argument there's so many things that can affect a relationship which will then affect a grief so i do think it's about being really kind to yourself and just allowing the grief to be there rather than justifying it. Grief is an emotion, just as like, sometimes you're happy for no goddamn reason. Like, sometimes you're really sad for no reason. Like, it's like, oh, well, I said goodbye to them. They were in their 90s. Like, they died peacefully. You can still be sad as much as someone who's like, oh, they were crossing the road and a bus hit them. Like, these things are sad. (laughs) It's just sad when someone dies. And I think we like to apply logic to justify our emotions, to make ourselves feel better why we're grieving rather than going... We're humans. If something happens to us,
2: we will grieve. Mm. So you, you mentioned that you had a baby in February, so March, you said, this year. Yeah, March, yeah. So just before the world all <laughs> completely tilted. Which just be literally pretty, before
3: lockdown, yeah. Pretty bonkers hospital.
2: timing. Um, and then your eldest, do you say, is four? Yes, yeah, yeah, she's okay. four. And so was she born around the time that you set up the podcast?
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I did a really... Odd thing, which now I look back, I'm like, what was that about? But I am a bit <laughs> of a workaholic, and when I got pregnant with my first child, because I'm a performer, it's quite hard to be pregnant as a performer. I definitely found a lot of doors were a bit a bit closed and mm. a bit more like, Well, you're pregnant, you know, you don't need to come and do this gig, or you don't need to come and do this job. So I kind of started thinking about a podcast because I was like, Well, I could do that at home. And then my daughter was two weeks late and I had all these writing deadlines, and I was like, Basically, I, I can tell I've got one I've got this much space to do one project. And my heart was like, do the podcast. Even though everybody else is, like, offering you things and this podcast is some stupid idea, I was like, do it, do it, do it. So I had recorded the four episodes, hadn't, like, done anything. I edited them, I, you know, taught myself editing and SoundCloud, got them up there, and then was like, great, done. I don't have to think about this blooming idea about death anymore. It can just go away and I'm just going to have a baby. And then I had her, and then I just started getting emails from people going, oh, my God, like... I didn't know other people felt like this. I thought I had a breakdown. It sounds like I'm actually grieving. Um, I've never told my wife what happened to my parents. I, I was told never to mention it. And now these people talking about it, it's making me realise, oh, this is how I feel. So then I was like, oh, God, shit. <laughs> like, seems like this is like useful and helpful and maybe this would help me and help other people. So, yeah, I, literally they're the
2: same age, the podcast and her, basically. That is pretty time. crazy, but it's mm. probably... There's probably more to it than you know. Yes, definitely. Like I'm <laughs> sure
3: my therapist um would, yeah, have an opinion on it. Yes. But, um, Paging Doctor. I Fry. think it was also <laughs> about just wanting something that was mine before I had a baby. Mm. That would be, and I think also, which is very common when you when you've had an early bereavement or you know bereavement in your twenties, whatever. When you then have a child, it it co- it raises a lot of a lot of issues because suddenly you're becoming a parent when you don't have a parent around, and it's it can really things that you thought were very dealt with are suddenly like, woohoo, we're still here. <laughs> you didn't deal with us. We've just been dormant. So I think it was also about deal- processing my dad's death as I became a mother. Yeah. That was really
2: a lot to deal with. Is that something you'd thought about before, like about how it would be when you became a parent? Is it something, you, you know, did you always think you wanted to have kids one day?
3: Yeah, I always knew I wanted to have kids and I always knew like he wouldn't be there, but I didn't really... Go any further? I just mm. stopped myself there because I thought, well, that's a painful thought. let's send that there, <laughs> and of course, once you've had a baby, you you can't stop the thought, and you start thinking about them when they first had you, and and you realise how you obviously you really realise that they were just people doing their best, and all the stuff that you maybe were like, oh, that's so annoying. You're like, oh, it's really hard. It's hard being a parent. I always thought that you were that they'd mucked some, you know, things that you were annoyed about. You're like, why didn't they do that? Why didn't they do that? And you're like, because they were tired. Because they were really <laughs> tired and you were annoying. That's why sometimes they were mean or shouted. Um, so it made me a lot more empathetic, I think, to his plight. And um, and yeah, I think it just brought back a lot of pain. And funny enough, when I started the podcast and I had mentioned I would had a baby and someone emailed me and was like, oh, just so you know, this is going to be hard. It's going to bring up loads of grief stuff. And this, I mean, she must have been about a month old. And I was like, what a weird thing to say. Like, how mean? Like, of course it's not. And then I was so grateful that they had kind of warned me. And so we talk about it a lot on the show now of like that, that process of shifting from, you know, not a parent to a parent if you don't have a parent or if you've lost, you know, a brother or Mm. sister or grandparents or another child, like that shift in your life will bring up the losses because it suddenly becomes more poignant who's not there.
2: Definitely. And there's things they're missing out on enjoying with you and meeting that small person that's, you know, a continuation of the family. And also the place where you turn to for advice or just to, you know, talk back about an earlier memory or what do you remember me at that age or the casual stuff? Yeah, that can be really
3: hard. Definitely. And my husband has lost both his parents. So she's like, we've got my mum is the only one going, <laughs> so we're very precious about things. <laughs> and she's always trying to go up ladders. I'm like, stop going up bloody ladders! Like, it's dangerous. There's only one of you, so always feels a bit yeah, like I the beginning of an both episode both of Casualty when people are doing that sort of thing. <laughs> not, yeah, not having someone there for those questions or, yeah, like you said, memory, all that silly stuff that doesn't seem like it means anything when you have access to it, but when you don't, it's so painful.
2: So, previous to you having your little girl, were you doing—is it comedy or the way in writing? Yeah I was just, I was an actor I was I went into comedy because acting was slow so I was like I'll
3: just write my own stuff and then I did Edinburgh and then you know I always did lots of improvisation so I started a show called Ostentatious and we do improvise Jane Austen and it was just yeah comedy radio like whatever whatever anyone was willing to give me money to do <laughs> basically so I didn't have to be a temp I was a temp for a very long time um, and then yeah I was very lucky enough to kind of Be able to generate enough of my own work to make it work. So, yeah, that's why when I did get pregnant, I was like, okay, you need to think of something that's not gigging because you can't, you can't go out and gig anymore. That's and I didn't want to. I didn't want to leave her. That was with a shock to me. I thought, Mm. oh, but God, just leave her. I should be fine. And then you get to a gig and you're like, oh, I don't want to be here. I want to be with them. And that I didn't expect that at all. I thought I'd be much, much sort of cooler and not bothered about oh, no, it is hard, all
2: that, especially with the first one I think because also yeah. if you're doing things like like stand-up and Edinburgh stuff it's it's quite hard to know if you're still that person sometimes I think once you've had a baby you sort of lose yourself mm. a little bit sometimes
3: yeah definitely I'd completely lost myself and you have to reform yourself which is really hard and if you've lost someone you're having to reform yourself in the way that you did when you lost someone so that's why I think it's um a bit sort of like triggering, I don't love that word. Um, and so I, I went to Edinburgh by myself without her when she was about eight months old, and did a week of gigs and was just miserable from beginning to end, just like couldn't believe. And I'm a bit extreme, like I won't sort of believe something until I've done it. So I sort of did this, push myself and I was like, oh yeah, no, I don't like doing that. Confirmed, confirmed. I don't want to do that anymore. So yeah, the podcast became something that I could do at home and you know, could be in control of the hours of it. So I
2: was like, oh, great, let's let's focus on that for a bit. And I think as well, I don't know if you'd find this true, but from from where I sit, sometimes it seems like the world of um, the women I know that are in acting and comedy, they don't necessarily know when motherhood's a good thing to introduce into that anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe, I don't know, did you have many peers that had already done that no I really
3: didn't I really didn't I had a few I knew like two other women who were comedians and they lived in South London and I'm not South so it was like oh god and um you know even like friends from like uni and stuff like even I mean it's funny because my mum always likes to chirp up with like oh time I was your age I had two kids and you were at school and you're like it does for our generation it's much much later so yeah that I didn't really have any friends who had babies that's changed in four years like a lot more people have started having kids and making that choice and obviously it's I have plenty of friends who don't have kids and that's absolutely fine they can completely support you but again it's that slight feeling of that I talk about with grief of like I would never say to one you're not welcome in this club but it's like do you really want to be in the grief club I mean I wouldn't it's not great <laughs> like, don't walk in here unless you have to and a bit with motherhood it's like it's quite intense and it's quite stressful and there is There is something really healing about talking to someone who is in the same predicament, much as my friends who've chosen not to have children also have friends that they talk to about that. So it's important that women have other women to talk to about those choices, because society will always make you feel wrong about whatever you've done.
2: Yes. Yeah. And I think um, it's a bit like, like with my podcast, ostensibly it's talking to women about how things change for them when they've had a baby. But obviously, there's all sorts of things that can happen in your life that make you feel the same emotions in terms of mm. thinking, hang on a minute, am I happy with where I'm up to? What kernel of this is, where's me in all this? And and actually, it's funny you mentioned about the podcast feeling quite sort of selfish about it. I think that's such a underrated quality to have in your life, actually, something that you just feel is yours and you can mm. be a bit protective over it. And I think a podcast is a pretty perfect medium for that because it does feel so, so intimate. And you could totally set the boundaries of when you record, how you record, who you want to speak to. But when you did it, I mean, I suppose podcasts were definitely around, but I feel like the kind of trajectory of people taking it as a, a place where they go to get their information and find a community is kind of growing and growing all the time
3: oh yeah like when I started lots of comedians were doing them it was like lots of people doing funny podcasts but that was that was it really like it was very it was compared to now it was so small you know like I remember like yeah the first British Podcast Awards which was so tiny and then the one then the next year I entered and a and no good way to say that I, I, I won some and it was like You know, bigger, but still not as when I then hosted the next year. It was like, oh my god, this place is packed with people, (laughs) and all the people who've been there from the beginning was like, do you remember? There was like thirty of us, and like we (laughs) all knew each other because we were all from comedy or like sort of television. And yeah, I'm I I feel lucky to be honest. I feel like I happen to choose a medium that circumstance, the invention of iPhones, the invention of good headphones, and a pandemic have made like oh. Couldn't be more perfect to have a podcast. It's so, oh, that's just one good choice. But in the slightly like roulette of life, like I wasn't sitting there being like, you know what would be good? You know what's clever? I really, I, I find my best decisions always made by just doing what I want to do. There's never any like, oh, that would that would be good. And I remember in 2016 walking along, being pregnant, and I just thought to myself, God, everyone's got a bloody podcast. All these comedians have got a bloody podcast. And I thought, if I had a podcast, I'd just interview people about death. <laughs> <laughs> oh that would be terrible no one would listen so and I literally just batted it away it was like god can you imagine like why would anyone do that and then the idea just kept knocking at my door just kept yeah. going do it why don't you do this and i kept thinking because it's a terrible idea who would listen who would listen to people talking about death how depressing and then I was like well maybe I can make it not depressing and I could interview comedians so that they would like make jokes so at least it would be at least you'd end the episode having laughed a bit so you won't feel really depressed or sad so yeah I think um podcasts Oh, an amazing thing that I just luckily fell into.
2: Yeah, but also I think, you know, when you say that the idea kept knocking at your door, you do have to put a lot of time and effort into what you're doing. And I guess with you talking to people about some of the most, you know, toughest times of their life, do you feel quite porous when you're doing it? Do you feel like you sort of carry carry on their story for the rest of the day or a couple of days afterwards? Yeah, it's hard. I've got better. I've got better. I
3: used to take on a lot and also I guess what I've been um what I didn't expect to happen you know when I talk to someone about loss of a parent I'm kind of like much more on a you know I kind of know how I kind of know roughly how they might have felt obviously every grief is completely unique but having to talk to people about child loss has been a huge huge eye-opener for me from you know early miscarriages to late miscarriages to having to deliver a baby to losing a, a child char- you know a two-year-old and I have found that one of the hardest things I've had to do, but one of the, sounds like such a stupid thing to say, but like I do mean it like humbling because it's made me realise in that way that death stories do of like, everyone has their own pain. You never know what people are going through. People can go through extraordinary things and survive. And that's not to sort of, you know, I, I don't like it when people like, make a podium of victimisation of like, but look what they did, how amazing. It's like, still shit for that person. But just seeing the strength of people and how they're willing to share that narrative Mm. has been really amazing. And then putting out an episode, there's a particular episode by um, Jason Green who lost his daughter um, when she was two years old and he wrote a book about it called Once More We Saw Stars and it's incredible. And it was one of the hardest interviews I've ever done. Like, I just... I just felt, yeah, it was just so emotionally difficult. And putting it out there and then just getting emails from people being like, thank you, thank you for talking about it. It's really helped. Or or oh, my friend had just lost a child and I was able to recommend it. And so as long as, it, I think as long as it feels useful, um, it can be a really, it, it gives you that strength to to carry on. But yeah, I, you know, I didn't expect that when I started this at all. And I've had to learn to kind of, yeah, sometimes put the stories away and be like, that's not my story. And I've got better at it, definitely at the beginning. It was it, it was hard not to feel like
2: you were conjuring the dead a little bit too much. <laughs> like, well, also you're like, raising oh, your own kids at the same time. So presumably the time you're talking about um, that little, you know, the two-year-old that died, you're raising someone that's probably around the same age. And I mm-hmm. I was listening um, the other day to the, the conversation where you spoke to Sarah Brown um yes, for yeah, Baby yeah. Loss Awareness Week. So I think it was only in October um that it was released. And that was, you know, when you've also got a little baby at home. I think you said your little one was only about four months old then. Yeah.
4: And I that think that was really hard. You know,
2: <laughs> well, that is really hard. And I mean, you know, if you're the thing that happened, I felt like instantaneously when I became a mum, is that if you're reading a story and you're reading about something that happens to a child you're in that story, that child is mm. your child for that for the moment you're you know you're engaged in it, and like if I watch a film and there's something terrible that happens to a child at the beginning, I'm always like that's that's such a cheap trick you've got me mm. now you've like totally hooked me because how can I watch anything happen to a small person and not put yourself in that narrative, even if it's just touching the outsides of it and when you're talking to people in an intimate way, that's a really big thing to take on. I mean, have you ever spoken to someone and thought i don't know actually if they're really if I'm the right person for them to be speaking to when they're opening up.
3: I I felt like that with the Sarah Brown interview. So Sarah lost, um, they lost their baby, I think it was 10 days after she was born. And I think, again, please forgive me, my dates are not very good. I think it was about 18 years ago that happened. And they set up the Jennifer Brown um, Research Laboratory, which has done incredible work for neonatal survival. And yeah, you know, she's an incredible woman. And she was so kind because she actually messaged me before we did the show and she was like are you sure you want to do this you've just had a baby and I was like yeah fine yeah that's what I do I talk to people about death no no biggie don't worry about it and she was like you really don't have to do it now we could wait because she obviously <laughs> fully was aware of like I'm gonna tell you this story like and I was like yeah 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 fine and it's funny that episode I in my I always record recorded instructions sort of separately just say this is who I'm talking to and in that episode I apologized because I just was like I just felt like I'd done a bad job because I just felt it was too close to my birth for me to, because I'm the same. Like if I, if I see anything with child loss, like in television, I can't watch, I can't, like literally I live my life watching strictly a master chef because i like, I can only cope with like the worst thing happened is ha someone la gets voted off. Yeah. You were very good. I was a big fan. Um, <laughs> because so what I can cope with is like, Oh, they got very off, but they have a lot. Like I, I am so emotionally weak when it comes to any kind of narrative because of, I think what the stories I talk about in real life. But then again, I had some very kind emails from people just saying, there's n- there's no there's no right way to talk about this. You know, child loss, death is really hard. And and I'm always saying that to people. It's funny you don't take your own advice, do you? But like, if I have a friend who's lost a parent and I've got other friends being like, ooh, what should we say? And I'm like, just, just say you don't know what to say. Just say, you know what, I'm so sorry. This is so awful. I'm probably going to say things that are really wrong. Feel free to tell me if I'm wrong but I just want you to know that I love you and I'm here.
4: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC.
1: Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com.
4: BlueNile.com.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass.
3: like there's no problem with being wrong but we mm. as a society as a culture find it really difficult we feel like we should know everything and it's like why like when at school did anyone sit you down and tell you this is what death is this is what someone sounds like when they're dying this is how you should organize a will like this is how to speak to people about it mm. and the thing that I always compare it to is when I was growing up and there was like you know somebody had a baby in the town and you'd hear my mum would i'd hear her talking oh lovely oh he's lovely oh how are you oh yes and i learned i listened and i learned oh when there's a new baby you have to make these noises like that's (laughs) what you do like you can't just go oh baby thanks anyway i don't want to talk about like okay (laughs) good lesson learned we talk (laughs) about babies when they turn up but when did i learn to talk about death because all you would hear is someone go oh so so passed away oh i'm i'm very sorry anyway And so you think, oh, I see the lesson I learned as a child is like, well, you don't talk about it. And when my dad died, you know, some people would talk about it a bit. But I heard a lot of people saying to my mum things like, oh, chin up and oh, gosh, how dreadful. Well, thinking of you, keep strong. And so I was like, oh, I see no one talks about it. And then I was left thinking, well, I want to talk about it. Like, it's this huge thing. Why does no one want to talk to me about it? So I think it's about acknowledging that we all need to get better at it we all need to practice it we need to talk about it in front of children so that they learn when they're older if it happens to a friend of theirs or any awful situation they know that they can be wrong be you know get their big clumsy feet in the way and that that's okay and again with baby loss I think just being willing to start the conversation is what I and again I haven't been through it so I'm only speaking from what people have said to me but being willing to have that conversation or at least try and do it really messily is better than going,
2: please don't talk about it. You're upsetting me. It's like- yeah. No, I know. Well, the people who are, that's always the, the sort of, I suppose, the most sort of, it's a very human nature instinct to have, but it's also ridiculous when you think about it. Like people will say, oh, I didn't want to mention it in case yeah. it upset you. And the person goes, I'm already upset. Like I'm you're not. Upset. You're, yeah. It's not going to be well, you, you mentioning it. All- that reminds me I lost my. My child, my brother, my dad, whatever yeah. you know, it's. it's uh, I, I think I think you 're right, and I think that 's so true what you say about the learned behavior i mean i suppose your your eldest is still so little is it is it at all part of the conversation in any way when you 're only four <laughs> we tr- we try like i uh, my
3: Again, being kind to myself, I feel like sometimes I don't deal with it very well. But I am, I am like, you know what, Carrie, you are learning. You are learning how to explain to her that Grandpa is dead, and so are Granny and Granddad. So occasionally, you can see she's confused, (laughs) or she's got very into. She's just started saying things like, my mum showed her a picture of her mum, my granny, and then she was like, "Is she dead? Was she old?" is that why she died? <laughs> we were like, where's this come from? Okay, and I was like, I just try and be honest. I just say, yeah, you know, grandpa is, is dead. He's not here. And what I find really interesting is that when you say that to a child, what you, you feel is like, oh God, I'm, oh my God, what am I doing? She's going to know that death exists. It's so awful. And what a child does go, oh, okay. Because they take facts, don't they? It's like, mm. right, they're dead, great. And obviously as it gets, she gets older, we will talk about it, but I think it's, for me anyway, it's very personal. I'd rather she knows from now he's dead. And so then she can start getting used to the idea of what happened and people die rather than 12 being like, what your dad's dead. You've never mentioned it. Like, mm. what does that mean? I'm obviously I'm not going to be that person. Cause I do a podcast about it. So I, yeah, I don't want to be about you. it. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. She's going to, she's going to find out pretty pretty soon. So yeah, I just try and think, get it in the vocabulary now. I'm not, you know, I don't, like, show her pictures and be like, there he is, he's gone. Like, but equally, like, if she sees one, i am be like, oh, that's my daddy, yeah, he's dead. My husband had a really funny incident. They were in the playground and um, he was with her and there was a little boy and he was a bit confused. He was like, where's her mummy? And he was like, oh, well, she's working and I, I'm, I'm looking after her. He was like, hmm. And then he looked at my husband and he was like, where's your mummy? And my husband was like, oh, well. And he just... Didn't quite know what to say, so he said, "Well, she's dead." And he went, "All oh, right." And then he ran off. Went, "His mom's dead. His mom's dead." <laughs> <laughs> and my husband was like what, like, you're like six, are you trolling me? Like, what is this? Why are you shouting it everywhere? But obviously he just, this kid just didn't know what to do with that information and, but yeah, my poor husband was like, didn't quite know if he should have said it, but yeah, he was like, I mean, that's one way of dealing with it, isn't it? It's like.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's taking, being open to another extreme, I would say. But, um, I see you've got a book coming out next year is that right in February I do yes about death <laughs> <laughs> I love to talk about death guys
3: yeah it's it's um called your you are not alone which is what I say at the end of every episode um and it's based on yeah things that I've learned from doing the podcast basically so it's about grieving and how it works how it used to work you know what not to say to people what to say um you know and yeah lots the why the five stages isn't unhelpful like modern grief basically sort of like a helpful modern guidebook to dealing with death which yeah very sadly is now obviously very apt but when I started writing it we didn't have a pandemic so it, it didn't feel like it was going to be quite so on brand <laughs> for 2020. <Yeah>. It <laughs> really is
2: it's very death. very very on brand I mean I, th- I think that's you know you said before about when people have wandered into, you know, sort of the grief room and you thought, oh, you sure you want to be in here? It's not tons of fun. But actually, I've always been quite fascinated with um, the way we culturally deal with death. And I think it's come out of the fact that, you know, I've always found it a bit, a bit icky knowing what to say. But I really want to be better at dealing with that. So I think your book will be brilliant because if if everybody you know even for people who haven't had a really significant loss themselves they'll know someone that has and just being able to keep that conversation and i think from my own experience when someone's lost someone or when i have you just want to be able to bring them up whenever you want to so that they mm. cuz they're still part of your life they're still ongoing and yeah. while you're here they're here so that thing where you kind of mention them or your you know your friend mentions someone they've lost and you kind of you know, you will kind of obviously want to say like, oh, here we go. But then also once you actually let it unfold, it's so much healthier, isn't it? Just to have it interwoven into everything else that's going on. And then it's not a big kind of boulder that's dropped every once in a while where you think, oh, golly, I don't know how to handle
3: that. Yeah, and I think that's what I mean about talking to my daughter about it. Like, if you make it this, you know, huge mountain you're going to have to discuss with your friend or, like, bring up, it, it becomes big. But if it's just something you check in regularly, and that's, oh, you know, we always say on the show, just check in regularly with someone who's lost someone. Like, and it doesn't have to be like, hey, I'm going to come round, I'm going to stare at you and be like, how are you? Like, a text, <laughs> how are you doing, I'm thinking of you. Yeah. I'm thinking of you is the most brilliant text I think you can send, because it's just like... I don't... It, we all know what it means. I don't quite have the words. I know this is too big to put a text message, but, like, I'm just letting you know I'm here. Like... Yeah. And it's something you said there, which is so interesting, which we bring up a lot of, like, just because he's dead, yes, he's dead, but I'm still alive, therefore my relationship with him continues. And that's what's hard when you have lost a parent and you become a parent, is that relationship changes again... But instead of being able to um, have that conversation with them, they're not there. So you're evolving by yourself with like, oh, this is how I would have talked to my dad. And they're not there to finish that conversation. So it's so important that we realise like, yeah, dead doesn't mean that's it. They're gone. Mm. They never existed. And uh, it's a really lame comparison, but I always talk about if someone has a child and when they're 10 years old, they're still looking after them. You know, no one's like bit weird they're 10 go over it why are you still talking about them like we let people talk about their kids the whole of their lives why do we do that with other family members be like your dad died 20 years ago oh when i gonna wrap it up i'm kind of i get it he's dead it's like well he's still my dad like it was kind of a big kind of important person to me so yeah i think if we can just get better at having the small conversations like you said the little ones And the other thing I think people, I wish people would be kinder to themselves. So if someone brings it up, and I've had this, I'm not perfect by any means. Someone brings up someone who's dead and it's a bit of a moment where you think, oh, uh, I don't know what to say. And then the moment goes, you've missed it. You've missed your window of talking about death and suddenly children are there and it's too busy. There is nothing wrong with going back and saying to someone, I'm really sorry, you bought up your dad, and I just didn't know what to say. But I want you to know that I've thought about it and I am willing to have that conversation. I just got a bit panicked when you when you did it, but I'm very sorry. Because I think we sometimes think, well, that's done. I missed my window. They said it. I wasn't prepared. I thought we were having a normal cup of tea, you know, talking about strictly, but suddenly death got brought up. Oh god. Like it's absolutely fine to go back to people and be like, hey, oh, I've been I've been shit. I'm really sorry. I wasn't there for you at the beginning, like, and I've had people who've joined the club much later and then messaged me who knew me when they were younger and go, "God, I'm really sorry, I, I didn't deal with that very well." And I'm like, "Don't worry about it. You were 17. Like, what could you have done? Like, it's fine." But I also appreciate them being like, "God, we didn't talk about that at all, did we?" And you're like, "No, no one, no one really did." So there's always room to um, repair what's happened, mm. and there's always room to have that conversation. It doesn't have to be the perfect time or a big conversation. It can be lots of little conversations.
2: Yeah. I suppose it's... So when you started the podcast after you had your baby, um, did you always feel like, oh, I've I've got this real impetus now to keep this going? Did it feel quite a natural uh, bedfellow to new motherhood? Yeah, it weirdly did, I
3: think because <laughs> I think I'm just thinking out loud. I think I was so used to being the girl whose dad died. Like that had been such a formative part of who I was because it happened when I was very young. And now I was expected to be this mother and just happy and joyous. And I wasn't, I had a really difficult birth with my first with my first child and very, very difficult recovery. I got rehospitalised for stuff and I was not well for a long time. So I wasn't enjoying it at all. <laughs> at all. I was really miserable. So I think part of me really appreciated still having a space like you said that was mine though I could talk about who I used to be and death and this world that I was quite familiar with mm. and it grew very organically like as I said I I, I recorded the first series was four chats and I thought well you don't need any more than that do you four it covers it <laughs> it's alright <laughs> and then of course you start meeting all these different people with different stories and you're like, oh my God, that happened to you? That's incredible. That's incredible. This, you know, and then people start emailing going, oh, you haven't actually covered this kind of angle. And you're like, oh yeah, I haven't. I haven't covered early miscarriage. I haven't covered grandparents who raised you. Like there's so, everybody has such, you know, fascinating narratives. So yeah, it just kind of grew and grew from that and I just kind of, in my head, actually my first ambition was to do 52 episodes because then I was like, there's one for every week of that first year.
2: Okay.
3: And I was like, "That's." you know, you can get through the first year. And then what I realised is, mm, Carrie, this isn't 1985. Like, people don't wait for their weekly podcasts. They listen to them all in a binge. So then they would be like, yeah, it's been three months, I've listened to everything. And I was like, oh God, I expected this to last you a year. <laughs> like, I'm so, Whoops. So, um, yeah, now I just carried on. But I was, I was happy to get to 52 and now I think we're like at 118 or something. So wow. I, now I feel like there is definitely an episode that will cover most things I'm still there's still growing you know obviously there's always things you haven't covered properly but if most people email me with their situation I'm like try episode 75 or 72 actually so I try and make sure there's always something that could be recommended
2: yeah well I think sometimes when you start a project I really relate to you sort of not making like long-term plans but just being quite instinctive about it and I think probably with something like you know grief cost sometimes you start something and then it Penny drops, sort of like as you go along, about why yes. it was really, really important you did it. And <clears throat> yeah, and I think you know you're on the right path with something if you have that that hunger to kind of. I want to actually represent so much, so many types of grief, and open up the topic and really expand it because everybody's affected in some way. Um, I mean, you know, it's the old adage about it being, you know, the one certainty in life, isn't it? That we're yeah. all gonna die, we're all gonna know someone that dies, It's it's just what happens, and that's what I sort of. The more I talked about it, the more it became baffling to me that some people
3: weren't talking about it. Because I was like, yeah. God, it's going to happen to you. You're not magic. Like, And I, what I think is interesting is, like, the one, you know, not everyone's going to buy a house, not everyone's going to go to university, not everyone's going to have kids, like, not everyone's going to get married. Like, there's all these big things that we hold up quite high that are very, actually, niche, really. Mm. But everyone will know someone who dies. Or yeah. they will die. Like, we're, that is universal. It doesn't matter, you know... Where you are, or what class you're from, or what culture or background, it's something that touches us all. So why aren't we talking about it more, or prepping each other? And I have an amazing episode that I did with um, Dr. Catherine Mannix, who's a palliative care consultant, who wrote an amazing book called With With the End in Mind, about how to help people have a good death. And we went through in that episode, like, literally what happens when someone dies, like, the sound they make, what this means. I've had so many people email me and go, oh my God, I listened to that episode, then my something died and I was able to go, Oh, I see. That's not pain. That's okay. That's what this means. I'm like, that should, I feel like so passionate, like people should know that these sound like when someone is dying of a terminal illness, very specifically, obviously not. Um, if something happens more in an accident way, like, the doctors and nurses are aware of what happens when someone dies, as you know, as they should be, and we're not. And they can't stop and tell you, like, "Oh, this is okay." They're busy, or as we know, or mm-hmm. doing their best as they can under the circumstances. So, if more people talked about it, if more people knew what happens when someone dies, much as you know, we talk about with birth, like, you know, how a midwife can look at you and be like, "Now you got three hours, mate, before I need to do anything." like we need to have those instincts reminded of ourselves and when people died at home more i think people were more in touch with it and i'm not saying god you know not everyone has that choice and not it's not right for everyone my dad didn't die at home like he he couldn't have done he was far too down the road of um Mm. sickness to be able to do that so it's not to say everyone should go back to being close to the dead but definitely to be aware of like be aware of what happens when we die because it is going to happen
2: yeah, and no, I actually think that's so true. I mean, um, when when my stepdad was dying, um, Richard was much had much more clarity about all that and he was sort of watching what the doctors and nurses were doing and understood the stages, whereas I was kind of not really... I think I was a bit... I don't know if it was denial or just a sort of feeling really on the back foot, like I'm not the expert in the room here, so I was just sort of... Not really necessarily understanding all the indicators. Probably also kind of hoping I was a bit wrong about what was happening, even though you sort of do know really. But sometimes that's quite helpful in a way. Like I don't, I don't know if it would have changed things. But I think, I think now I'd probably quite like to listen now and be like, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because once you've had the, the, the bit where you've experienced the death, you think a lot about what goes before. But actually, that that very intense bit when they're actually dying is something that you don't really. That's not a memory I revisit very often no like it's not like a massively important part yeah it is and it also doesn't feel like it says much to me about my relationship with john or Mm. anything that's necessary in that way but it's still quite it's quite traumatic it's really it's really traumatic to watch someone die it's really Mm. traumatic and
3: and that again like to just talk about these things of like that doesn't mean what do i mean like I think sometimes because something's traumatic, we just avoid it. And it's like, it still happens. It's still there. Like, I watched my dad die, and it it was really traumatic. And for years, I was like, don't think about it. Don't ever open that box. And now I've got, you know, and it's taken me 20-plus years to go, actually, that happened. It was really important. It was really painful. And that's okay. Like, that's okay. Those two things can exist together, that it was painful and awful. It doesn't represent our relationship. It was really awful and horrible. But also, it happened, and I can allow that to have been but I've had people email as well about that episode saying oh you know my so-and-so died 20 years ago and I listened and now I'm like oh I always thought they were in pain at that bit or I always thought this and now I realize they weren't so it's never again it's never too late to understand what happened with the death and I think your body protects you I definitely went into the kind of bubble when my dad died of like oh la 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 don't really know what's going on I'm a teenager don't really want anyone to explain it to me and um the day he died, I asked not to go in. I said, Oh, I don't want to go and see him today. Can I just have a day off? And my mum was like, I think we might need to go in today. And I was like, Oh God, I just want a day off. Because I was just unable to process it. And I think also that sounds like you had great support from him. And if if you have someone you love and trust absolutely who can then who can take that role of this is happening, it enables your brain to go, I can check yeah. out a little bit because That's I can see that somebody else is is looking at it in a slightly close way that I just can't right now and that's, yeah. that's what a good death is is having those people who can support you and hold your hand through it as you hold their hand through it, the person who's dying it's, it needs so much to help someone die as much as it needs so much to ha- get someone to be born, you know, it's like it's not neither of those processes are very simple
2: Yeah no, it's true and I think I suppose it's just, uh, it made me think as well a little bit about listening back to that chat with Sarah Brown and her talking about how prematurity can affect babies and I ended up having two premature babies. And there's a lot of stuff I didn't really understand about what prematurity meant. And I and even now I've got, like, my eldest is 16, the next one down is 11. And, you know, some things are still coming to light about, I don't know, certain learning difficulties, sort of, you know, dyslexia, dyscalculia type, you know, in that spectrum. And I'm sure it goes back to premature babies. And I'm like, why didn't anyone at the time just say, by the way, this is some things, I, I could have saved myself ages of just trying to work stuff out but I think yeah as you say the doctors and nurses at that moment they're busy they're doing the job that's at hand and there's just lots of conversations that maybe just don't get had because if if maybe had someone had come up to me when I had a three-day-old baby and said, oh, by the way, you know, they might find some aspects of the conventional education system a little bit challenging when they're older. I probably would have said, can you leave me alone? Just Exactly. That's the thing
3: is like, again, it's a bit like birth or, uh, you know, I think once you've had the baby, like, why did no one tell me? And you're like, people might have said it and it might not have gone in because you just, what's the point of taking in that information right there? And that's what I again, like being kind to yourself. Like there's so many things that I was like, oh, I should have done that. I should have said this to him or I should have realised he was dying then. And you're like, someone's dying. You just get through the hours and the minutes with them. And then in time with therapy, with talking to people with love, with support, whatever you choose to do, you can go, oh yeah, I guess that I could have done that. But you know, I didn't and that's okay as well. Like I, I made the choices I made under the circumstances and that's why i love that episode with katherine because it's so sort of calm and from the point of view of someone who's seen people die so many times and understands the process of that to just have someone very calmly explain it to you it yeah. made it it related to my dad's at uh, 20 years on i was like oh i remember him doing that that's what that was was it like oh okay <laughs> nobody explained that but if you're not going to retrain as a palliative care consultant
2: why would why would these things come come along to you it's true it's true. Well, jumping ahead a bit, so you you've had your baby, your second baby this year. Were you a bit apprehensive then? If you had quite a difficult time after your first.
3: Yeah, I was, but I mean to go. I um, I am not massive, as in like I'm short, petite person, and my husband is a very tall man, and so I uh, learned from the first time that. It, we make giant babies. And um, this time round, it was so big that they scanned me every week, obsessively, insisting I had gestational diabetes because how would a baby be that big? And I kept being like, they kept testing me. They were so suspicious. They were like, you definitely got it. You definitely got it. And the results kept coming back. not You don't have it. And they were like... But he's so big. He's so big. <laughs> and I was like, uh, "Yeah, I don't know what to say other than my husband is really tall. He's six foot four. Like, what? Can, I'm five foot three. Th- let's just do the math here. And um so I, yeah, I was apprehensive, but I made every single different choice basically. So I had emergency C section with my first, and an elective, to the mm. point where the last scan, the <laughs> this sonographer looked at me in the eye and was like. Please tell me you are not going to try and do this with <laughs> by yourself. And I was like, "Oh no, don't worry. No, we
2: booked elective." She was like, oh, oh "I my couldn't." God. You've got to tell me how uh, big your baby was now. Uh, well, uh, nine pounds fourteen. Okay, yeah, that's pretty good. That's just shy Which is, of ten pounds. Yeah, actually. it's not. And I
3: have to say, I know there's much bigger, but <laughs> I I am not a big person. So he un, people kept saying to me, "Twins from." So he was born in March from December. People were like, oh, any day now and I was like <laughs> yeah March and then they would just look worried so I stopped saying it I used to lie at Christmas people kept saying oh any day and I was like yeah oh Christmas baby <laughs> I no, just, just to, just to, say to the see the reaction when I was like no actually it's one and it's I've got to wait till March because they were just like <laughs> oh God so yeah massive so I was actually much less apprehensive because I, I did that thing second time round of going
2: here's all the things that went wrong let's mm. make sure we don't do that again um, yep. and that was very helpful And how is it having a baby and then going straight into a lockdown? I shouldn't laugh. It's just. No, it's hilarious. It's (laughs) literally,
3: you know, when (laughs) people are. You said you wanted some quiet. So many things, which I'm, I'm sure anyone who's had a baby this year can appreciate. Like, no one cares. No one cares. No one cares you've had a baby. They're in a pandemic. No one gives a shit about your new baby. Like, like the only people who care are people who've also had a baby in a pandemic who could be like, yes, this is so hard. It's so hard. Um, also, second time round, people don't care. You might actually, there's massive banging going on. That is the baby banging something in the kitchen. Don't worry about um, it. It was, it was really weird and surreal, but also fine in the way that having a baby is, you know, and... Hmm. I think the biggest thing was, like, when they announced lockdown, I was like, well, I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) Like, I hadn't any plans to go anywhere. So I wasn't that bothered because I was like, oh, well, okay. And actually then my husband was at home and I didn't have to do, like, get her to nursery. So I was like, oh, well you know for the first month I was like this is actually quite nice no visitors I'm not having to stress about anything month two I was like okay okay well I'm starting to think I'd like to you know see a friend month three I was like this is unbearable because it was just like having the you know um she was three then having a three-year-old at home having no childcare trying to keep her entertained. I mean, he really definitely had second baby syndrome where like it just was like containing three-year-old when you're only allowed to go out once for an hour. It's yeah. like, is he fed? Fine. Ignore him. He's fine. He's, oh, just, yeah. he's fine. You Don't even look at him.
2: <laughs> when you're stuck at home with all your kids, you just have to prioritise. Like, who's the one here that... Yeah. needs to be dealt with, and then, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I am mean, not speaking to you, because
3: you've got way more, but I found two, like, <laughs> oh, my God,
2: this is so hard.
3: Two <laughs> is hard. so hard.
2: But then I think having... that For me, it was all defined by the little ones, actually, because the older ones, like, they, they were quite self-sufficient, and, yeah. you know, my eldest two, if I'm like, okay, it's a day where, you know, we just go to loaf around at home, and they're like, that's brilliant. They yeah. like to spend all day in pyjamas anyway. So it was, really, <laughs> it was really the little ones where I was thinking, oh, how do I do this? And when... Yeah lockdown started mickey my youngest was 14 months oh god Right, and yes. i just so he was similar. so busy yeah busy all the time and um you know just what do i do with him really yeah i know <laughs> and it's funny because when, when i had my daughter i'd be a bit sniffy about a baby class
3: like oh yeah they're all right they're fine i was like like praying for just to sit in a circle with some women like singing you know wheels on a bus it would be like that would be so good right now that's what he needs i need to go out and yeah. that's what I think's hard, just not having other other people who've had babies that you can kind of connect. You know, you obviously was messaging lots of people and but once it eased and I could meet friends who'd just had babies, that was that was really nice. But you also Yeah, you know, I mean, you don't wanna complain. There's things way I worse. No, way relative. worse. Um, yeah. we're very, very lucky and very privileged, hugely. So but it you do I did definitely miss that like just taking him out for a walk and having a cake with someone in a cafe and then going know. to a baby class. That you know, that bit where you're sort of like hanging out with them. And showing so them you... off as
2: well. Showing off a small baby is really nice.
3: And well, a giant baby. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I'll give you an example. He is now eight months. He wears 18 to 24 month clothes. <laughs> he's so he's so strong. I'm not joking. I live I live in a, a big block of flats. There's no lift. I have to cl- I have to climb a lot of stairs. He carried A loaf of bread up. He just (laughs) held it in his hand. Eight months old, just carried it. And I was like, he's so heavy. I'm like, oh my God, I can't carry you. And I was like, oh, he's sort of holding the bread. And I was like, okay, well, that's good. I'm not going to disturb him. (laughs) Yeah, he's like... Oh my god, he's so strong and so massive. So, but yeah, I didn't get, I didn't get to show him off. But people still stop me and go, "Oh, what a love, what a lo- bonny baby," which
2: means your baby's massive. That's what bonny means. We all know that is what bonny means. I had a, yeah. my third baby was very chubby. I used to have that a lot with him too. Um, and it, I, the other thing I wondered about for people who've had babies this year, if when everybody says about our rubbish twenty twenty, is you, like can we just have a tiny moment for all the people where this is actually their birth year? You know, woo, something good Tell you good what, mate, uh, okay, first child, 2016.
3: Do you remember 2016? Trump got in, David oh. Bowie died. Everyone spent oh, yeah. the whole year going, this Everybody's is the like- worst year ever. I was pregnant. I was like, I mean, it's some things are good, like some things are okay. All people did to my face, God, this year is awful, can't wait for it to be over. And then I thought, well, it can't get worse than that's was really, when really heard 2016 when I had her and everyone was moaning to me all the time. And then 2020 happened and I was like, <laughs> literally, a constant barrage of this is the worst year ever. And I was like, well, remember that. Remember 2020, people, because you were also people who moaned about 2016. Yeah. So, hey, well, we we might go back to 2016 joyfully right now. So just appreciate what you've got at the moment. No, that's so
2: saying. true. And I've actually only just, I'm only just out of sync with you because I had, yeah 2015 and then 2019 so oh, just, right yeah yeah yeah, just yeah. Out of sync. <laughs> you got in you the good, good years you
3: got in the good years <laughs> 2016 is when everybody there was loads of deaths there was there loads of celebrity deaths was and everyone was as well. really um, sad about it and then yeah trump got in at the end of the year and everyone was like well cancel it cancel 2016 <laughs> i was like I mean I had a baby it was that was a good thing and also I was also quite um postnatally depressed and ill so I was like yeah maybe this, maybe I've made a terrible decision this is awful but then I, I got much better
2: do you think the the podcast helped you with that
3: yeah I do I do I in a way you know way that I would never have foreseen and didn't consciously choose but I think it I would book interviews and then I would say to my husband, I have to go, I've got this interview, I have, they're going to be there, I have to go. Yeah. But what that meant was, you know, half an hour on the bus to myself, an mm. interview with someone, and the bus ride back. And it was just like two hours where I was like, oh, I'm still me, I'm still me, she's still here. So I think I very consciously needed something that was like, not about... Yeah, a baby. And I said, I I do think that's connected to having such a hard start. Like it was, it was really bad. Like lots of things went wrong. The actual pregnancy was fine. But like the moment I went to labor, loads of stuff went wrong. So I think when you're left with, you know, a bit of a traumatic time, you do really feel like what the just happened to me? (laughs) Like What just happened? Whereas this was, you know, birth in a pandemic. It's very different. Like everything's actually a lot calmer you know because you're not rushing around and you're not trying to be yourself because you can't so you can't go and gig you can't go and see your friends you can't be like well I'm just gonna do this stupid thing and take the baby on a train for three hours because I'm sure it'll be fine and you're left weeping going I should have stayed at home there's a lot of staying at home so actually (laughs) I think he's had a much nicer time because I haven't rushed back to trying to proving that I'm still a human being I've kind of gone well I'm just going to stay here for a bit
2: well, I mean, you mentioned like not feeling like yourself, but when, so how soon after, so you did the run of shows when you said, I think your daughter was about, did you say eight months when you went and did Yeah, I mean, kids?
3: I went back to work when she was four weeks. I did a job when she was four weeks. Yeah, madness, absolute oh, wow. madness. What was the job, uh, like an acting job? Yeah, it was just an acting job and I had a rehearsal and everyone kept,
2: <laughs> I turned up and
3: bless um, the director and the writer, I think. no the director and the producer had kids. And I walked in and I said, Hi, I had a C section four weeks ago. And they went, Okay, Carriad. Okay, do you know what? What let's let's just sit down rehearsal. Let's just we'll all sit down. And then the, and then we did a run like we went through it like once. And I was like, Are we gonna rehearse it? And they were like, You know what, Carrie? I think I think you can go home. I think you can go and I was like, Oh no, no, I'm gonna I I'm fine. Wow. They were like, Nah. And both of them had ooh, like um, partners who had, had C-sections. And I think both of them had this look and I have like, send her home. She's mental. She should not be. <laughs> that was for Murder and Successful, which I, yeah. Wow. I'd, yeah, then I filmed when she was like six weeks old. But like self-employed, you know? Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, I've had other people definitely, I've had other mums definitely judge me and be like, oh gosh, I, could, I couldn't I could have done that. And I'm like, it ain't no thing as maternity leave when you're self-employed. God, like, no. And then of course, you know, I then didn't work for like, Three months or something, you know what I mean? So, you have like weird bits, or I'd do one gig, or I'd go and do another gig. So, that's the thing with self employed people think you go back really early, but it's like, oh, actually, I'm going back because I don't know what the next year was, is going to look like. Yeah. So, I'm going to have to do something now. But yeah, I definitely had a few people be like, oh, God, I don't know how you did that. And it was like uh, painfully, and because I had a bill to pay. So, I did it. But also, it.
2: there's no one telling you that you're not allowed to. And you actually, you know, I think you kind of do it if you can. And then sometimes, as you say, you sort of try things on and then look back and think, Oh, golly, actually, that wasn't... I yeah, like, I definitely bit, looked back and was like, oh, that was... Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. But I did, and it was all right. Yeah, you get it's through it's it. Fine, it know? just feels a bit weird. I remember when I had my third baby, and I was so convinced he was going to be premature. I'd left a DJ gig in the diary, luckily with my husband, but abroad. I think we had to go to... Where we go? It was somewhere like... Oh, golly, somewhere in Eastern Europe that I'd never been before... And I'd forgotten about it, and then I had a six week old, and I was like, "Oh!" let in I was like, "Oh, we're going away tomorrow," and it was just—it <laughs> really threw me. <laughs> so yeah, I had it's this all night part of the away. process,
3: isn't it? Like, you do, yeah. that's what I think. With my second, I got much better at yeah. being like, you learn. You know what? You? Sometimes you do stupid things. You just, you just yeah. learn from
2: it. But yeah, and it's, else, it's actually all about yeah. you as well, not your baby, because your baby's yeah. like completely fine. Actually, yeah. at that point, it's just about how you feel, really. There's no real rules to it. I mean now nowadays, I mean I suppose this year's been a very odd shape, but ordinarily, what's the sort of divvy between your sort of acting and comedy and all that and improvisation and your podcast life? Yeah, I it's sort of just in the mix really. So
3: just I as like, it, like I, yeah, it I falls. just I act, I write, I do lots of improvisation and I do the podcast and um yeah, this I run an improv show Called ostentatious which would normally be performing weekly doing a uk tour we would have done edinburgh so that's like a huge part yeah. so yeah it's just like I, I just add it to my roster <laughs>
2: how long has ostentatious been around now nearly i think we're about to hit 10 years actually really but, um yeah oh, wow. i know i know I knew but it'd be a long time, but i didn't realize been... it was that long that's amazing
3: yeah it's mad isn't it um it's quite long for an improv group they normally implode so we've done quite well it's done really um, well Yeah, so that we were supposed to have a full West End run, like we, you know, they. They tried to do a show the week we went into lockdown and the theatre got closed. So, yeah, we were still kind of like, should we be here? What's happening? Because that was, you know, when everyone didn't quite know. And I was in hospital being like, are you guys going to do the show? And they were like, "Uh, we're at the theatre. Not sure. So, yeah, Ostentatious is also a huge part of what I do. And then Griefcast is another massive part. And then I'm writing um, the panto for the National Theatre this year, co-writing it. So I'm also doing that.
2: Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, well, thank you for giving me your time. You've got lots of (laughs) other things to do. Oh, any excuse to have a little chat and a cup of tea is joyous,
3: to be honest. I love it. You know what? That is basically
2: the secret of, I think, why I started this at all. It's like, this (laughs) is literally, I'm not even joking, all year, this is the only time I've I've been able to have an uninterrupted conversation. It's actually,
3: it's what agree because You're like, no, no, no one's allowed to come in.
2: It's actually very important.
3: In I'm recording. actually working. But you just kept a moment to yourself and a cup of tea and you're like, oh, if I can't go to a cafe, I'll have a podcast.
2: Exactly. <laughs> really recommend it. Um, to the extent where I think I kind of get a bit surprised when people say they've heard them because I'm so selfish about it. It's sort of, you know... I, even if no one listened, I'd still be recording series after series.
3: I think that's a good podcast. <laughs> that's a sign of a good podcast. If you're like, I'm just doing it for me, so
2: I enjoyed it. That's where other people then go, oh, I enjoyed it too. You're like, great, great. Uh, I will let you get get on to your, all your other projects in a minute. But how, how I did want to know how the improv stuff helps with raising kids that must be quite a useful skill to have being able to improvise surely it is (laughs) I definitely think it is because the big thing about
3: improvisation is there's no wrong Mm. so you yes and everything so, like, if they say they want to do that today, cool, that's what we're going to do today. And, but it's, I found it took me a long time to put my improv brain into my mum brain because my mum brain was like, no, I've put the play-doh out nicely. I bought some pine cones in. We're going to do this because I saw it on Instagram and now I want to do it because I think it makes me be a good mother. And then she's like, I don't want to do this. This is really boring. I want to draw on my feet. And you're like, and I've got much better at going, yeah, okay, let's draw on your feet then, fine. Like, just whatever you know be yeah. led by them but yeah it definitely helps in terms of um making up stories it's really handy for uh doing gibberish that's another big improv thing pretending to speak french which is we've started doing so we both she pretends to speak french to me and i speak french to her but now she thinks she can speak french so, so you know, she, she like, try <laughs> yeah yeah so okay. i do la la it's just made up, which I lo- It's my favourite thing to do. And then she saw a man speaking French, and she was like, "Oh, I can, I can speak French to him." And she was going, "Susie, I was like, "Oh God, this feels very racially uncomfortable, actually, culturally <laughs> uncomfortable." I just do it as a silly thing to make you laugh. And now she, she was like, "He's not speaking French like we do." Like, yeah, he's French. That's what's happening, darling. He's yeah. actually speaking a language. Um, so yeah, it definitely can help, but you know, you still, you still ultimately have those days where you've got nothing you've just got nothing and you can't like i had them this even this morning you know everyone woke up early nobody behaved themselves everybody was screaming one of them wasn't wearing trousers one of them wouldn't eat anything unless it was on the floor like it's just like improv is no help then <laughs> like,
2: no like, but also you've got to pick and choose your battles like yes, my fifth
3: definitely. one like
2: i literally sometimes would just give him his food in a little bowl and put it on the floor like he's a cat <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to have to start doing that because mm. he's just so determined to be
3: on the floor so I was like today I was like he was just picking up cornflakes at the floor and I thought all right maybe that's don't worry they were really small cornflakes in case someone thinks I'm choking him no, um worry. they were like no tiny judgment, crumbs yeah. of cornflakes I thought well you seem really happy that's what I've got better at you seem happy so
2: yeah who am I to disturb you oh, I saw Mickey the other day he had something in his mouth I said Mickey what are you eating cat food <laughs> yeah, don't worry they survive <laughs> It's okay. It's all I suppose right. If you delicious. put his food on the floor, sometimes he is going to get confused. Poor kids. Oh, dear. He'll be um, a comedian. It's a great
3: story. It's a <laughs> brilliant stand up routine about how his mother thought he was a cat. It's excellent. Mm, you've
2: got to be able to laugh around him, yeah. definitely. Otherwise, definitely. it's definitely the opposite.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think that's like. That's what we've got better at is just laughing. Whereas we used to always think we'd failed, you know, like, mm. oh, we've done this wrong. This isn't what you're meant to do. And now we've both got better at turning each other and being like, I mean, it is hilarious that, you know, they're both screaming and both naked right now. That is quite funny. <laughs> if I was watching yeah. this,
2: I'd think it was funny.
3: It's just and everybody else it. has
2: that. It's not, it's actually, is what most people experience is just that we don't normally talk to people about those things. And I think that's one thing I reminded myself of this year, actually. Because when I had my first baby, someone bought me that awful book, the Contented Baby Book. Oh God! (laughs) And I literally put it in the bin because it was just like, this is not how to. This is not the kind of mother I think I am, and it made me feel terrible. There's like two days I attempted it. You know, it's all very regimented about, you know, which breast you're feeding from and how high up the blinds are for what daylight's coming in and how much toast you're eating. It's very odd. When the pandemic started, I felt the same kind of thing of like, oh, all the other families are organised and they're in routines and they're getting up early and they're doing exercise together and then they're going for a bike ride and then they're doing the homework and they're on it. And then after a while, I was like, I don't know how to be that family. I just know how to be our family. And then I just kind of, my shoulders just dropped and it was like, let's just do what we do. We don't have to worry about that super family. Like, maybe they do exist, but I'm not capable of being that person, so
3: i don't think they exist either i really don't i think you know social as we know social media is such a dangerous wonderful wonderful amazing tool that's also like made of glass and will cut you if you're not careful so it's like you have to be so careful because i had the same i was like right we're gonna like get up every morning and do a different topic and i'll take the baby then you take her and and i was like we're all standing like you know covered in food weeping it's just like yeah as soon as i just was like as long as like no one's screaming it's fine right like like, if they're screaming they're hungry something's wrong they've hurt themselves as long as like they're happy it's fine and like our parenting has changed during pandemic as well like we had no television before the pandemic and we were quite strict about it because I grew up like watching so much television so I'm I'm addicted I have to really be careful Mm. and then the pandemic lockdown started I was like mate i've ordered a telly <laughs> he was like but all these decisions we talked about I was like out the window we are being locked down we're having a television frozen yeah. is on i'm doing it I, I was like we need to give up on this these high standards and just yeah do like you said be the family that you are it's there's any advice isn't it just be you be yourself it's it's much easier
4: mm.
3: yeah
2: it is it is oh carrie thank you so much for talking to me thank you i've absolutely loved so our lovely. conversation and go and find your enormous baby <laughs> God, so big so massive so that was lovely Carrie lloyd and didn't you have so much good advice about how to deal with grief i think one of my favorite things that she said in terms of um a good thing to have in your armory really when you're dealing with grief, because let's face it, so much of it is quite squeamish, and we all worry so much, don't we, about what to say to people when they're grieving, but I think that thing she said about when she said you can revisit something, so if someone, I don't know, let's say they've just lost a parent, and you're chatting to them, and you sort of miss the window of bringing it up, and then saying, look, I'm really sorry, I didn't, when you mentioned it in passing, I wasn't, I didn't really know how to deal with it, and now I I just want to say I'm really sorry. I I just thought that was really sensitive and smart and I think um something I'll definitely continue with and the other thing I'd say speaking to my mum um about how she's dealing with her own grief is that sometimes when people talk to her they say oh I didn't want to bring it up because I didn't want to upset you and the thing is if someone's grieving then you know they're already they're already sad and I think actually when someone you love is no longer in this world I think there's just this part of you that just wants to speak their name and let everybody know that they existed. Um, there's a lot of power in that. And, yeah, the other thing I thought was really funny and really stayed with me from Carrie's chat was when she was saying about, when she said, well, you need have a baby in lockdown, no one cares, there's no one cares. And I, and I said, oh, what about when you had your first baby? And she was like, that was a rubbish year as well. as when David Bowie and Prince died. And it was like, this year's terrible. So that, I thought that was pretty funny as well. Um, next week, who do I have for you? Oh, I have Ellie Taylor, who is actually another comedian and um, she has written a book called my baby and other mistakes how to ruin your life in the nicest way possible she has a toddler who's only two months older than my smallest and we had a really funny chat about what it's like to go from being someone that maybe thought they wouldn't be a mom and was actually quite repelled by a lot of sort of mum style stuff which I do kind of get it does feel quite repellent sometimes because it feels like it, it's very homogenising feel like you're going to lose your identity but also you just think oh why do you want to go on about the fact you're a mum all the time but now that she's a mum she's absolutely obsessed with it to the point where she actually stalks women in the baby department in John Lewis so you're going to hear all about that she provides you with a good pick up line if you're looking to talk to new mums and Ray is there anything else I need to add no you're still patiently waiting for his superhero accessories, aren't you? Um, oh, actually, I should also give a big thank you to Ed who didn't delete our conversation because when we chatted, I realised that horror of horrors, we hadn't saved it properly. I say we, it was completely my fault. I can't really bring Richard into that. So thank you to Ed for not putting me in the bin just yet so that you could hear it too. And on that note about sharing is caring, I bid you adieu and uh, have a lovely rest of your week. And I will see you soon. I don't know why I keep singing my outros, but it just feels appropriate. I'm going to sing song for in mind. Must be still that disco spirit lingering from last night. Lots of love. Woohoo. <laughs> Ray, right, has mummy gone mad? Ray, right? Have I lost the plot? Bye bye.